Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Start and end your day with the good news. The good news with Angie Austin. Find the podcast of past shows at AngieAustinRadio.com. Now, here's Angie Austin and friends with the good news. Welcome to the good news. Happy to have producer Moose here. Hello, producer Moose. Hi, happy Monday, everybody. We've got two guests coming up to talk about mental health in general and the stigma. And I'm sure you have and I have known people who've committed suicide. Mm -hmm. And recently I had lunch just last week with someone who said that her ex-husband took his life and she said she believes and it's the father of her children. Mm-hmm. She believes, had there not been a stigma associated with depression and mental health, that he would have sought help a long time ago, but he was embarrassed. Oh. And so many people, and I think in particular men, mm-hmm. don't reach out for help. And in the Christian community, some people are like, well, if your faith is strong enough, maybe you wouldn't need any medication for depression. <laughs> because if you love the Lord, so like, like I do, you'd be happy. Well, saying like, you, you know, if you love Jesus enough, you wouldn't get a cold. Right. Or it's like you wouldn't get sick. I mean, because people don't put the same weight on mental health as, yes, it's a disease, just like you would get, um, you know, a, a cold sickness. or a flu or yeah. something. Your brain can get sick, too. And people, for whatever reason, just think that if your brain is sick, just like every other part of your body can get sick, that if your brain does something, has to be wrong. Yeah, I have several people in my family, one currently uh, suffering from mental illness, and he's in a facility that has other mentally ill, you know, occupants and uh, kind of keeps them off the streets because they make it very affordable for them to stay there. And thank goodness for that, or he would be homeless again. So we're going to talk about that. And uh, one of the women is going to talk about her brother taking his life and just the impact and her journey to get people to release that stigma of mental illness we can talk about it more openly i had a friend that you know she's a singer Mm -hmm. and she posted well known real beautiful has everything you could ever imagine that the world would give you to make you happy strong christian and she posted on her page after robin williams took his life that um she struggles with depression every day, and people from the church contacted her and said, if you're in a leader, leadership position, it's probably not a good idea for you to post about the depression that you struggle with. What? Yeah, you know, don't be real or anything when we're a, a church about real things. Isn't that crazy? A really well-known church. Right. Yeah. That, uh, yeah. So anyway, she's not going there anymore, by the way. All right, let's talk a little bit about um, politics. And you know I'm not a big political person, but boy, there are just too many good sound bites to pass up. And with, with Iowa— <laughs> we going with today? With Iowa on the horizon— Trump is such an entertainer, okay, because he doesn't even give any boring sound bites. So here he is talking about how he can be politically correct if necessary, like when he hangs out with the highfalutin people in uh, Palm Beach. He can be politically correct and play their game, but he said now he doesn't have time to be PC anymore. Place in Palm Beach. We have the great society people in Palm Beach. They always want me sitting next to them for a lot of reasons, right? And I sit next to ladies Oh, Donald, it's so beautiful to have you with us. It's so beautiful. 
And I talk to them, you look so lovely tonight. See, now in modern day society, you're not allowed to say that about a woman, right? You can't say that. But I've never had anybody complain. But they are very up in the air and they're very nice people and they raise a lot of money for charity. And I'm so politically correct. In fact, they leave, they say, I can't believe it how sophisticated Donald is. I can do it any different way. The problem we have is our country has a problem. I don't have time to be politically correct. Does that make sense? We don't have time. It takes a lot of time. Takes a lot. It takes a lot of time. Ain't got time for that. Isn't he funny? <laughs> and boy, there. Let's see. Uh, this morning on the on uh, Daybreak USA that airs on our Denver affiliate uh, uh, on eight ten a.m. KLVZ. I was talking about uh, Marco Rubio. Says he's the most qualified. Uh, we had uh, Bernie Sanders saying that he would whoop Trump, and he's, he welcomes the opportunity. And then we had uh, Mr. Ted Cruz when he was 18, back in the late to mid-'80s. A former classmate of his anonymously gave this clip of uh, Ted basically saying that he wants to dominate the world and be rich and famous and have power and all those sorts of things. But then he also <laughs> makes some little, like, what would I like to do with my life? He, meant, he mentions these teen movies right uh-huh. and they're kind of like movies that are like real uh you know teenage girls and all oh, hot and heavy movies right <laughs> and he's attending a christian high school Uh oh. and i didn't realize in the clip was something that i shouldn't have had on the radio Uh oh. right but we didn't play it so then the political correspondent comes on and she says wasn't it funny when he mentioned those teen movies and i said what do you mean and she said, he said, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what? Uh-oh. She just played the clip. So in the commercial break, we play the clip. And I realized, I can't play this on the radio. But I couldn't understand what he was saying. Uh-oh. That shows you how you can get into trouble. Yeah, exactly. Right? I had no idea what he was talking about. So anyway, if you want to know, find out for yourself. But you're not going to hear it on my radio show. Can I share one good news story before we bring in the mental health awareness situation? Oh, we love good stories. All right. little girl um, and her cat. Now, she's lost her arm. And they found a cat. They, they were going to put the cat down because the cat was so severely injured that the cat um, had one of his limbs amputated, so now they're matching. Oh. Yeah, and they really have bonded. This is the story of a little girl and a little kitten. Both are adorable, both need and deserve love and attention, and each can provide those essentials for the other. Yes. Scarlett Tipton is only two years old. Sure, the toddler from Orange County has her doting parents and her brother Caden, but a pet is something special. In fact, you might say this gray and white furry creature named Doc is extra special. Staff at the San Jacinto Clinic of the Riverside County Animal Services Department didn't think she was going to make it at first. She came in with a severe injury, a right front leg that was mangled, possibly caught up in the fan belt of a car engine while the kitten was trying to stay warm. There was several pieces of bone. Her paw was hanging off, and my instinct was immediately end her suffering. But thanks to plenty of medical skill and TLC, she pulled through, and following a report, the Tiptons found the perfect companion for little Scarlett to adopt. It created a lot of joy in our family um, just because she understands that she's not the only one. When we saw Doc, it was like, hello, this is perfect. So the cat was perfect. And you know what she did, right? What's that? She pointed to where the cat was missing his arm and her arm. And she recognized that they were the same. Oh, well, I mean, good companionship through animals like that and to make a little girl feel that she's not different, that she can just be loved. Yeah, and that she can feel this kind of kinship with the cat. Here's part two. 
You see, this little girl and this little cat have much more in common than you realize. Come here, give the kitty a kissy. Scarlett also is an amputee and a survivor. She lost her left arm to cancer. When she was born, her left arm was really large. Um, and nobody really knew what was going on. She's actually the only one to ever have her exact type of cancer documented on Earth. The world-renowned Mayo Clinic in Minnesota performed the delicate surgery when Scarlett was only 10 months old. She is now cancer-free, but her journey, her recovery, her life that will be filled with ups and downs like that of each and every one of us is just beginning. And she has a new friend who will be along for much of the ride. Good job. I just love that idea that she feels like, hey, there's other people or animals like me. Oh, of course. You know, just the, you know, the love that the cat can give and just the, the exact recognition that she said, hey, you're missing what I'm missing. And yet I don't feel different. Well, as I mentioned at the top of the show, Joan Maria, she is the CEO of the Arapahoe-Douglas County Mental Health Network, and also Shelly Rule. She is in the banking business, but she also is with the Chris Rule Foundation. And uh, welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. And this is a real important topic to me, as I'd mentioned to you. I, I saw on Facebook my friend Joanne Davidson, who was well known from her newspaper job and uh, in the philanthropy world. Uh, she had done an interview with you, Joan, and I said, well, I wanted to get in touch with you because one of my brothers suffered from schizophrenia and manic depression. He was murdered. Oh, and part I'm of sorry. that is just that, that, that life that you live. But he lived in Boulder, which, as you know, is an area that was really open to taking care of people. He was a yes. veteran as well, so suffered from some issues with that. And then I currently have a brother who'd been homeless and on and off meth for, mm, gosh, since he was about 12. And uh, he was homeless, but then I found him at Christmas time, and he's in a facility for people who suffer from mental illness. And I talked to a neighbor because he doesn't have a phone, and I said, "How is he?" And he said, "Well, you know, all of us just do the best we can, and we're just <clears> lucky to have a place. It's $150 a month, and they have a roommate, and they're able to not be homeless. Because, as you know, that's a Good. big issue with people who it suffer is. from mental illness. They end up self-medicating on drugs, illegal drugs, uh, and also um, they're not understood, so they end up." homeless and because the care isn't there for them. So I really wanted to open up the discussion because I feel like a lot of people, um, even regular people just going to work every day, suffering from depression, feel the stigma is so strong, they won't seek help. And then that leads down the road to depression and suicide. So I really want to wipe the slate clean from the stigma. So welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Angie. And I couldn't agree more. I think that, you know, the stigma around behavioral health issues, addiction and mental illness is really a battle that we all have to, to fight right now uh, because it really is a barrier to people getting the care that they need and that can really, you know, lead them to living a much more healthy life. And suicide prevention is something that we all work so hard around every day. Um, last year, our Arapahoe-Douglas Mental Health Network served about 14,000 people That's in our community, and we know that there's so many other people out there that, that do not get the care they need. Uh, statistics tell us that probably 90% of people with addiction issues don't get care, and at least 50% of people with mental health problems don't get care. So we have a lot of work to do to reach out into our communities, and, and there's a couple different ways that we're doing that now. Now that I think are st we're starting to see some uh, get some traction around. 
There's a national program called Mental Health First Aid that is, uh, it's really a, a, you know, a class that people can take to learn about what mental illness is and addictions, what it looks like, and how to get, once you recognize it, there's five steps that you can kind of, you learn how to go through with people, how to talk about, you know, illness and depression with people, and then how to connect them with the care they need. And it's really for people that aren't mental health professionals. It's for everybody in the community. And I think that, you know, that also has a, is a great role in reducing stigma in our world. And where do they go if they want information on that? You can go to MHFA Colorado, Mental Health First Aid Colorado dot org, and you can find a class in your area. Interesting. Yes. Okay. To kind of open that door to make people feel less shameful in that, you know. Absolutely. This is common. It is. You know, there's there's a there's a population that's you know we have about two percent of our population has really severe and persistent mental illness that um, your brother was suffering from uh, schizophrenia, severe bipolar disorder, and then there's a lot of the rest of us. And I think we have to start talking about us and not mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And it's probably, you know, one in four people in, in the United States suffers from some level of mental illness. Mm-hmm. And we all need to talk about it with each other and yeah. within our families, raise the awareness. And that's how stigma is going to start getting to be less of a barrier to people getting care. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, your story, Shelley. We mentioned you're in the banking business, but you're also with the Chris Rule Foundation. So you've got a personal story. Like my brother, you also had a brother that dealt with depression. So let's talk a little bit about that and then your passion for helping others. Sure. You know, I think that uh, mental illness uh, really knows no borders. You know, I know that you had your circumstance and that was your experience. And obviously, our family has our experience. And uh, my brother happened to be somebody that on the outside looked very successful. He retired himself at 36 years of age. He had uh, a terrific family, two boys, has great extended family, was really involved in the community, and was really a giver, very compassionate, had probably helped hundreds of other people reach their dreams, and I think probably brought a lot of joy to people. But inside, there was always a struggle. And even though the family was aware of that struggle, he didn't have addiction issues that went with it. In fact, you know, from the outside, having so many friends and a community that really thought he had it all together, he probably felt even it was harder for him to seek help and talk about it and reduce the level of anxiety that he had. And I think uh, towards the end, um, unfortunately, my brother did complete suicide uh, on May 14, 2012. And I think that it shocked an entire community. And it shocked the family because although we knew he struggled, I think that the bigger pain was after the fact and having to pick up the pieces and the what could we have done differently. And so the Chris Rule Foundation was really started because of the efforts of the family not wanting his life to be in vain and that he had helped so many others that I think that we became educated as a family. And I think so many people have appreciated that and they often look to us as being that first connection and that resource. And I think that's terrific because even if my brother had reached out, I don't think at the time any of us would have really known how to deal 
with his circumstance. And so uh, I encourage people, if they do have family members, um, to not always judge a book by its cover. Sometimes when it looks really good on the outside in the external world, it can be a living hell for these people inside, and they're not able to stress kind of that uh, feeling of, I'm incapable of being the rock in your life at this time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, they, they, they try to seek help, and maybe it's the follow-through that's important. Maybe they try their initial reach out, and they lose hope immediately. Because, as you know, struggling with mental illness takes a lot of follow-through. It's ups and downs, just like any uh, illness would be. You know, cancer is one thing, and you see people go through chemo and the whole journey of that, and it's very understood. And that can be on Facebook and Instagram. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Like, but, but for some reason, you know, it's interesting because after my brother died, I went to see a counselor, and I guess it would be considered situational depression, but I think depression runs in my family, and I wasn't really ever aware of it. And so, uh, because I felt I didn't, because I would use other techniques like exercise and success and overachieving to, you know, work my way through it. So with that said, I remember saying to a friend of mine that I was seeing someone, and she said, um, well, hopefully when your faith is stronger, then you'll be able to get off any kind of medication. And I'm like, first of all, my brother's been murdered. And secondly, like, I'm trying to work through this, and for her to jump to the conclusion that somehow my Christian faith is weak. And so as a Christian, I just want to say that, and Pastor Moreland, who is a regular guest on the show, has said this many times, if you get, you know, help for, like, he gets help for his ADD, and he takes a pill, and if you need a chemo, you don't say, well... If my faith was strong enough, I'm sure that I can shrink this tumor with my <laughs> with some prayers. That's and right. so um, I'm not saying that God isn't capable of healing you. I'm saying we have to use the tools that are available to us to try to work through this. And I don't want Christians to feel that stigma that somehow they're not strong Christians if they don't get help. And so in my own community, I want to make sure we put that out there. And I want to make sure people know how to reach both of you and also the website again. Will you give us that, Joan? Yes, it's mentalhealthfirstaidcolorado.org. Excellent. And also, Shelley, your website for the Chris Rule Foundation? Yes, it's the chrisrulefoundation.org, and we do have events through the year where we uh, try to get money to also then give right. to programs that are out in the community. Absolutely, and the, and the good work that you do. Well, thank you so uh, much for both of you coming in. Thank you. Thank you. You heard it in church. Now you have it here on 810 KLVZ. And yes, it's all right to sing along. Hey, it's Angie with the good news. Do you ever feel like, you know, you need a roadmap to your goals or you need some hope or you feel lost? Well, Carrie Conley with Infinite Nation, she teaches us the specifics, the roadmap to reach your goals and dreams. Hi, Carrie. How are you, Angie? It must be very exciting for you to help people reach their goals. It's very exciting because everybody has a vision of what they want their life to look like, Angie, but most of us walk around with it all stuffed inside and not able to get it out. And that's what I help people do. And what I find that you do is you have us write down uh, what we see ourselves doing or would like to see ourselves doing in one year, two year, three years. Right. And then you have you break it down into steps and then it makes it so much more simplified and less intimidating. Well, I think people overestimate that, you know, a baby step ha can take you a long way. So yes, I get them to take little tiny baby steps toward the bigger vision of what they want their life to look like. All right, if people want to talk to you, work with you, see what you're up to, how do they reach you? InfiniteNation.com. InfiniteNation.com. Thanks, Carrie. 
Hey, it's Angie Austin. I'm here with my friend Francis Owens with ARC. And Francis, you and I have been friends a long time, and you and I both wanted to do something with our lives, with our careers that made a difference. I love ARC. I've gotten to know so many of the differently abled ambassadors through you. And it's shopping with a purpose. So when we shop there, the money actually goes to help the disabled community locally. And you need donations. We need donations all the time, and we are very, very happy to come pick them up. You can easily call 303-238-JANE, which is 303-238-5263. We would love to come pick up anything. All of our sales go to help people with disabilities around the state. We raise funds for advocacy. Love it. And you can also, of course, drop things off, but they'll come and pick things up for free. And again, all the money stays locally to help the disabled community. And I love to shop there because I find great deals. You can find out more info as well at arcthrift.org. Thank you. Perfect. Yay. All right, you want to be healthier, right? What if you could get a free health assessment and you could get a number that would let you know, hey, I am really in bad shape, or hey, I'm doing really (laughs) great. Well, we've got one for you. It's a free health assessment. It's 100 questions, and Dr. Joe Arve is here. And Dr. Joe, how do we uh, take this health assessment? Basically, just send me your first name and your last name and your email address, and we'll email this lifestyle risk questionnaire to you. And what it does, it's 100 questions, and it analyzes how you're living, how you're eating, what you're doing, to whether your health is going the right way or the wrong way and it gives you a score and then based on that score we can go to work on making lifestyle choices diet changes things you can do every day to get that score down and get your health moving in the right direction and so you can call me at 303-349-6011 and leave me a message and i can get you plugged in that way or you can text me at the same number 303-349-6011 or go to spinegeek.com and contact us and we'll get a hold of you there and we'll make it happen but it's a free assessment and it's going to be awesome for you worship through wonderful music impactful sermons and inspirational talk programs where love lives 810 klvz welcome back to the good news well did you know it's the 240th anniversary of the first baptist church of williamsburg virginia and they're going to celebrate with a special bell ringing ceremony and concert for hope and that's at the beginning of february the president's invited and who doesn't want to ring a bell for hope (laughs) <laughs> That's my daughter's name, so I love that. Joining us is uh, Reverend Dr. Reginald Davis with the First Baptist Church of Williamsburg, Virginia. Hello, Pastor. How you doing? I am doing quite well, thank you. So tell us about your beautiful church. I mean, that is amazing, 240 years. Who gets to you know be the reverend at a church like that? Yes, yes. Wonderful history. This congregation was started uh, in 1776. Uh, the same year as our Declaration of Independence. Uh, This church has uh, survived, it has thrived, and we're celebrating 240 years. And that says something uh, about a people, the resilience, the the will to live, and the grace of God that uh, was with them uh, to be able to uh, survive these many years. Uh, I think that is very, very commendable. Well, I want to hear about uh, the bell ringing and why this is so important to you, but I also then want to get a little bit of, of, of your testimony because it's not often we get, you know, a, a reverend like yourself, you know, on the line that we can kind of delve into your past and why you love Jesus so much. So let's start with the bell ringing. Well, uh, we acquired this bell in the 19th century, uh, purchased by the Women Auxiliary uh, of First Baptist Church. Uh, when we relocated here at our present uh, location, the bell uh, uh, was also uh, brought here to the new location. Uh, for many decades, the bell remained silent. 
Uh, even during the days of uh, the Civil Rights Movement, it remained silent. But through the partnership of Colonial Williamsburg Foundation and First Baptist Church, we got together. Uh, they provided the resources to repair this bail, and we just see this bail as a symbol of hope, yeah. uh, a symbol that we can come together and unify, a symbol that we can uh, make this nation a more perfect union. I love that. I love that. So let's step back in your history. Obviously, you're well-respected. You lead a uh, very important and a large church. So what got you started in your Christian walk? Well, I'm a product of the black church. My father, uh, who pastors in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, I, was, I grew up in a pastor's home. I've always loved good preaching, uh, quite naturally coming out of a Christian home. Uh, where they taught you about the uh, precepts and examples of God's Word. Uh, they taught you about hard work. And so um, I've always wanted to uh, grow up and uh, help my community to realize uh, that they are somebody, they are God's creation, and that uh, God is, is with them. Of course, I knew I needed some education in order to articulate that mm-hmm. and lift the veil of ignorance from the minds of so many of our people because, unfortunately, you know, religion uh, was used Uh, to degrade people. And so it was a way to help people to realize that you can use religion uh, to help you realize your, 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 your full self. And you're yeah. created, yes. Uh, and Philippians so 4.13, I mean, heaven. you're complete through Christ. All things are possible through Christ. I love the idea that you wanted to bring that whole message into church, because so many of us as Christians, I don't think, fully realize that, regardless of our color. And we don't, um, that inheritance through our faith, we don't, we don't fully live it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And great is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Right. And so once that uh, spirit of Christ is in us, then that impacts us uh, to help uh, win the culture for Jesus Christ. And I think that's across the line. And so it's been my uh, uh, religious and spiritual pilgrimage uh, in order to help open the eyes of God's people. In fact, I, 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 I'm an author of four books. One of the books I you know, use Frederick Douglass as a precursor of liberation theology. But one of the books that's uh, getting a lot of attention is The Black Church Relevant or Irrelevant in the 21st Century, in which I talk about how the black church uh, was the only institution that we created and controlled, and that it was an institution to help us to realize and stay connected to God, uh, to help generate unity, uh, and, and have that village in which we can see about each other. And so I just want us to get back to that because somehow we have uh, disconnected from our past. Uh, we don't have the village in place like we used to, and I think that that has not served us well. So it's been my... Uh, pilgrimage to help raise the consciousness uh, not only of our people, but help America to realize uh, that we the people, we can make this nation what it ought to be, that we are one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. You know, I, I, when you mentioned you're a product of a black church, I think about my own kids and uh, one of my good friends that comes on the show, uh, he, he is a, he's a pastor's a church. And so he invited me. And when we walked in, I realized we were the only white family there. And I thought, mm. oh my goodness, maybe they won't want us here. I have to tell you, I have never had my children so welcomed by a group of people than in our church. And mm. um, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I was taken aback at first, like I might not be welcome, seriously. And so Pastor John said to me the other day, I noticed you were in church last week, and I said, how did you know? And he goes, well, you're the only blonde person in church. 
Right. And so it made me laugh because I forget that I'm different, right? I forget right. that right. I look different. And I have to say that um, my, my children at first called it the yelling church because my buddy, he preaches with a lot of passion. And so jo- <laughs> jokingly, um, he said, so does your son like the yelling church? They beg me to go now because they're welcomed with such love. And I have to say, it's been a beautiful experience for my children to be welcomed into a community, a church like that, where we do look, look different, where maybe we wouldn't have been accepted. So I see that as a real um, a real statement about the progress we're making in our country, that the blonde family can be welcomed into an African-American church and that the kids treat my kids just like every other kid. Absolutely. And that can only happen uh, if you got the spirit of Christ in you. I agree. And once that is operating in people, you know, operating the church. In fact, we had uh, a gentleman who visited our congregation here in Williamsburg, and uh, after 35 years of not going into churches because he, he saw a lot of things that, um, that really turned him off. But when he came to First Baptist Church, uh, he said he has never felt this way in 35 years. He saw the, the genuine welcome. He saw uh, the unity here. He just saw the love that he uh, had not experienced in 35 years. So that says something, that we got to get back to welcoming people into the church uh, because, again, we are representing something greater than ourselves, and that greater than ourselves is Jesus Christ. You know, one of my friends who's a strong Christian is blind, and he said that, you know, that judging people by the way they look or their color or their, you know, uh, whatever, I mean, he knows they're male or female, I guess, from the voice, but he said that's not part of his world. And I thought, what an interesting thing that he's literally blind and that, you know, we're, we, we want to work towards, you know, country where we're more colorblind, where we can just kind of love each other. And I think you're right that Christ is that uniting factor that can bring so many of us together. And in this bell ringing, you want a lot of us to get together and ring the bell for peace and hope. So how do we join in with what you're doing? Well, uh, we have a website, uh, letfreedomringchallenge.org, letfreedomringchallenge.org, in which people can go and sign up to come here and ring this bell. We are challenging the nation. We are saying, regardless of race, creed, or color, come and make that commitment that we're going to continue to struggle uh, to make our land a more perfect union, and that when you grab hold to that rope to bring that bell, not only are you connecting to the past where people who have worked hard, people who have sacrificed to make this nation a better nation, but you also are connecting to a, a, a future and committing yourselves to a future in which you're going to work hard to help the generations to come to be able to live in a land uh, freer and more humane than what, what, what we are experiencing today. All right, I, I'm I'm just wondering, you know, you've you've seen a lot over your years and a lot of changes, and uh, you know, you've got this church that is so historical and so well known. What are you excited about? What are the positives? We hear a lot in the media about the negatives. What are the positives you're seeing within the church and within your community? Well, we are very excited uh, that we are getting people uh, to come across racial lines, uh, educational lines, uh, you name it. People of every description. The excitement is that. Not only are we uh, getting people to come, but we're also uh, getting people to look at the history of a people. First Baptist Church congregation, founded in 1776, how they were able to survive, how they were able to thrive. And they could not have done that had they not had God on their side, had they not believed uh, that there is a God. 
And so uh, 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 to, to let people know that black history is American history. And, 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 and if they can realize that black history is American history, even though uh, the past was very dark, but the light was still shining. And so it's, it's an exciting time for us uh, to be able to uh, give more visibility to the history of this congregation, but also say uh, that together, together uh, through Jesus Christ, that we can make our nation a better nation. I'm concerned about these young people. Uh, I read somewhere where 85% of young people across this nation, they are not connected to any church at all. And I think that oh, that's sad. That's really and, sad. And, and we have to do something about that. And so this is a way to help uh, get the next generation connected because if you don't have uh, generations to come connected to the church where they can hear God's word, where they can understand unity and what Christ has done for us, I'm afraid that the future is going to look much dimmer than what it is now. So uh, we have to do something to let young people know that there is hope, let young people know that there is a God, let young people know that love is out there. But all we have to do is make that commitment to come together and resolve a lot of these issues that can be resolved, but uh, we have to join God. God can't do it all himself. Mm-hmm. God, God wants us to join him in helping to bring about the transformation uh, that this nation needs. And Reverend, a couple of things come to mind when you say that, because you, uh, sometimes we have to step out of our comfort zone. Um, that, that Thursday, con- well, we have something called Thursday Connect, and that's what my kids love so much. And it's like old school church where you go and you have dinner and then you hang out. And then we have worship music, and then we have the Bible study. And so then the Absolutely. kids, and then, so the kids are running around the hallways. They're picking my, picking each other up. My daughter Hope likes to pick up the pastor's son. I'm like, quit picking that boy up and throwing him around. You're not supposed to pick up boys and throw them around like that, you know. And so they're like bonding. They're growing up together. And then the other thing we did, we do a street ministry. So we went out to a rough part of town, and I went with them, you know, members of my church. And so we're out there, and a woman approached us. She called herself Angel, which of course wasn't her name, but seemed to be a heroin addict or something. Some kind of addict and was walking the streets, you know, and making money that way as a lady of the night per se. So with that said, I'm with another one of the ladies from my church and we were talking to her and I knew about an organization called Streets Hope, right? But I was embarrassed to mention it to her because I'd be saying, look, I think that you are a prostitute, you know, so I was kind of embarrassed to say it. Then my buddy from church says to her, look, I want to tell you about a place called Streets Hope. I went there because I used to be an addict and I used to walk the streets just like you. I about fell over. I thought to myself, how cool is this that my friend from church, that she and I, you know, I'm a TV person, I'm a radio person, I've had this quote unquote, you know, like nice career, that my buddy from church that I'm standing next to, who's just like me, that she used to be on the streets as an addict, and through Christ, she and I are just alike, that I had no clue she had that background, her husband uh, we do business with, like I had no idea. And I thought, how beautiful is it that you're so wiped clean with Christ, I'm about ready to cry right now, that she and I are friends, and I thought, no different of her, no whatever. And then she opens up to this woman and says, hey, go to this place because they helped me. So then I find out back at church, my pastor buddy calls me and he said, wow, everybody is surprised you got in there and got your hands dirty and you were walking up to street people and uh, praying with them and hugging them. And they were kind of taken aback that you were so like you were the one walking up to people and greeting them. And I was like, well, why would they be surprised I do that? Because they thought that I would act like I was on a different level. Well, uh, I'm glad your friend did that because that's what Christ did. Right. Uh, 
he reached for the lost. The lost could come to him. I mean, the prostitutes did, the outcasts. That's who Christ came to save. And I tell people all the time, I tell my ministers here, I said, whatever uh, the Lord has delivered you from, he delivered you from that for a purpose. Now you go back. You go back and you deliver somebody else who's in that same predicament. So each one can reach one. I may not be able to reach a segment of the population because I may not have a shared their background and experience. But if you have, then you can go back and right. tell about the love of Jesus and how he has transformed you. And I think that that's really ministry. So we're going to have to come outside of the walls of the church. We're going to have to go and let people know in the community that they do matter, that Jesus loves them. It's not just enough to tell them that. We've got to demonstrate that. We've got to create an environment where people feel that they can come to Christ because through us, they get a glimpse of who God is. Right. And so, therefore, we are all uh, on one level. Uh, we all are uh, uh, sinners saved by grace. And so there's no uh, greater sin or lesser sin. Christ saved all of us. And that's why we should go and tell others the good news of the gospel. And, uh, and I think that that piece is missing. Sometimes churches can get so busy uh, doing church instead of being the church. Right. Well, I admire you, though, Reverend, because, you know, you had a heart for Jesus, but you knew you had to get that education. And you didn't, you didn't, you didn't pussyfoot around, per se. Like, you know, you went for it. You got your, you know, Master's of Divinity degree, and uh, you really prepared yourself to be able to minister for people and, you know, and have that respect that you've worked so hard to, you know, garner that position. And uh, I, I love what you're doing, you know, for your community, but I also love that you're trying to bring people together. And uh, I think a voice like yours is... Um, a unifying, beautiful voice to have right now when there is some strife. You know, we hear from Hollywood people, um, you know, uh, upset about, you know, the Oscars. You know, we hear, um, you know, if young, I'm not, I don't, I can't, I can't be in the mind of a young black man. And I don't know what they're facing. All I know is that I, I am in that world in terms of, um, you know, my church and my friends and my colleagues, and that um, I, I didn't grow up around racism, so it's really hard for me to wrap my head around it. My stepmom is um, a minority, and uh, my dad was a professor, so I grew up around a lot of different nationalities, for that matter, people from other countries and other colors. And so I didn't even know that I'd never heard the like bad derogatory word used towards an African-American until I was on with friends on spring break when I was 18. And when I heard it, I was so taken aback because I didn't think it was used anymore. So I know sometimes I live in Neverland, but I also grew up in tough circumstances, lost a brother to murder, lost um, a brother to drug addiction. He's currently homeless, didn't have my dad, grew up in low-income housing. So I came out of that of a background where I can relate to many people who've been looked down upon per se. And so with that said, I'd like to think things have gotten a lot better. I'd like to think things are more fair. I'd like to think we have an African-American president. But then I hear from a young black man what he's facing, and I feel like I'm completely clueless to the other side of the coin sometimes. Yes, but, but, but look how, through the grace of God, uh, that you were able to overcome all of those things. You were able to overcome all of that to be who you are today. And that says something to people, that regardless of your past, that, you know, you can overcome it, you can be whomever God intends for you to be. But you have to make a concerted effort uh, that you can overcome your past. And I think that your story, along with many other stories, uh, can say that God can take us uh, from where we are and put us in a different place. But he also reminds us that when he puts us in a different place, that there are others 
who are still caught uh, right. in the past and that we have to go back and get them. You know, the person I often think about is Harriet Tugman, how when she gained her freedom, she went back to the South, south 19 times because she wanted other people to taste the freedom that she was experiencing. And so uh, this, uh, if all of us can just go back and let others know that they can be free, uh, that they have to reach out, uh, and that they know that their future can be better than their past. Uh, Christ is still operating. Uh, you may not find it in, in certain places, but uh, you will find it in other places. Right. So just don't give up. Uh, there are people out there that love you. There are people out there that will encourage you. But you have to be the one uh, to say to yourself that I'm going to have a better future than my past. My past will not dictate my future. And so I think you have a marvelous story. And this is what this bell ringing is all about, yeah. that regardless of what has gone on uh, in the past, uh, like you talk about racism, uh, oppression, all those things are still part of our present reality. But they don't have to be our future reality. Right. And this is why I said ringing this bell would help all people. Uh, to work toward eliminating those things that are putting a wedge between us, uh, putting uh, us in different categories. Right. Uh, President Abraham Lincoln said we can't survive had slaves and had free. Well, we can't survive had privilege and had unprivileged. Mm -hmm. So all of us matter. And this democracy says that all of us, we the people, we mm -hmm. the people. Now, does that mean that we're going to have to sacrifice? Absolutely. To whom much is given, much is required. Absolutely. Well, well, uh, Reverend, I've really enjoyed speaking with you. I, again, let freedomringchallenge.org. And if, I've, if I'm ever in Williamsburg, I'm definitely coming to check you out at your church. Absolutely. And I hope you'll be able to come uh, pretty soon, to, to, in, sometimes in February, to ring this bell. Love it. I'm going to send it to my church as well, all the info. Let freedomringchallenge.org. And again, uh, thank you so much, Reverend Dr. Reginald Davis. And God bless you. And and, and keep up the good work. Aw, oh, thanks. God bless you too, sir. Eight ten KLVZ, Brighton, Denver, Boulder, a Crawford Broadcasting Station. Hey, it's Angie with the good news. Do you ever feel like, you know, you need a roadmap to your goals or you need some hope or you feel lost? Well, Carrie Conley with Infinite Nation, she teaches us the specifics, the roadmap to reach your goals and dreams. Hi, Carrie. How are you, Angie? It must be very exciting for you to help people reach their goals. It's very exciting because everybody has a vision of what they want their life to look like, Angie, but most of us walk around with it all stuffed inside and not able to get it out. And that's what I help people do. And what I find that you do is you have us write down uh, what we see ourselves doing or would like to see ourselves doing in one year, two year, three years. Right. And then you ha you break it down into steps and then it makes it so much more simplified and less intimidating. Well, I think people overestimate that, you know, a baby step ha can take you a long way. So yes, I get them to take little tiny baby steps toward the bigger vision of what they want their life to look like. All right, if people want to talk to you, work with you, see what you're up to, how do they reach you? InfiniteNation.com. InfiniteNation.com. Thanks, Carrie. Do you ever feel like you're just searching for a church and you just can't find the right one? Well, I must have looked for about 10 years. I have to tell you, I've never been so excited to go to church. I feel that Pastor John Moreland, my pastor, that's you, John, um, has a real gift for teaching. And there's so much love in that church. And I've never felt more welcome. And I have to tell you, Pastor Moreland, I just 
I, I love going to church now. I learn something every week, and, I, and I, I just feel so blessed by you. It makes me cry. Well, I'm humbled to hear you say that. Denver Christian Bible Church is about two things. One, we want to make genuine connections with people, and two, we want to genuinely connect those people to Jesus. Thursday night, we connect. You can go to dinner. You get to know people. And then on Sundays, I just feel like it's a time of getting together and learning. And I feel I'm always hugged. I've never been hugged so many times in my life by people who are really happy to see me there. And so I feel like I'm growing, but I also feel like I have a support system at Denver Christian Bible Church. So if people would like to come, how do they reach you, Pastor Moreland? Please go to our website. You can download our sermons for free and find out where we are, denverbible.org. Hello, it's your pal Angie Austin. You know, I have to tell you, if you enjoy the good news, I would love your support. I would love to team up with you, to partner with you, and help you grow your business or your nonprofit. And also, you could support the good news at the same time. I know all of my sponsors personally. I really enjoy working with these advertisers because we have friendships as well as a business relationship. This show means the world to me. I have a passion for sharing good news, and I have a passion for my faith, and I would also have a passion for you and, and building your business as well. You can reach me at angieaustinnews at gmail.com, angieaustinnews at gmail.com. I'd love to work with you. This is where love lives, 810 KLVZ. Welcome back to the good news. Well, parents, it's time for high school students to sign up for classes for the next school year and many choices. Well, what makes AP courses so valuable? Mm-hmm, they are. And here to tell us is Wendell Hall, the Senior Director of Policy Advocacy at the College Board. Welcome back, Wendell. Thanks for having me back. I get a kick out of you because, you know, you were a science teacher, too, before you became a mucky muck. So you've been in the trenches <laughs> with these kids. And so you know the you real deal. It. And you know how to get them into college. So explain why these courses are so valuable. Great. Well, AP stands for Advanced Placement, and these are courses where students, while still in high school, have an opportunity to take college-level courses. Uh, So the great thing is the benefits of taking an AP course are real. They, you know, allow you to potentially save time and money once you get to college. Um, And then there are many practical benefits as well, critical thinking, time management, communication, all infused within these uh, upper-level courses. Wait, wait, wait. Back it up. You said save money. Like, this actually, if my child takes an AP course, I may not have to pay for that course when they go to college? There you go. Many of our schools, we're a member organization, and so many institutions accept credit. Um, wow. So depending on the school, you can save fifteen hundred, five dollars or $6,000. It's all going to depend on whether or not they receive credit for that course. And also, it, what that allows your child to do is to take deeper learning experiences once they're in college. So they can sort of skip the introductory things that they learned in high school and hit the ground running. Well, Wendell, you all know we think our, our, our children are geniuses. And I'm sure you've had parents come to you when you were a teacher and be like, oh, my Susie, of course, qualifies for AP. And some kids don't. So how do we know if our kids have the potential to succeed in an AP course? It should always be a conversation amongst uh, the student and the family and also engage the counselor as well. Many students took the PSAT in the fall. They can now log into their College Board account and get what we call a score report. And that report tells them, you know what, you did a great job, Angie, in math, specifically in algebraic principles. You know what, you're ready for AP physics. So we Mm -hmm. actually help the conversation along by letting students know courses they might be uh, prepared for and then having that inform the conversation that students and parents have with their counselor. Okay, you just said you can help with that decision. So how would people reach you to ask that question? Me as in exploreap.sorry. <laughs> yes, me not, as in their score report. <laughs> right, their not, score not report. you I mean, personally. My, my, my email server, I can only re- receive with so many emails, but <laughs> I would love to if I could. Um, but, you know, the score report helps to give that information. 
and oh. helps to inform the conversation with the counselor. I see. I see. Okay. So let's talk about that. Um, some of these AP courses can actually help them in those tests you just mentioned that will help them get in college. So how do you find the right AP course to help them with the testing? First thing you do is go to our website, exploreap.org. Exploreap.org is going to tell you the 30 plus AP courses uh, that we offer. Help inform the conversation with the counselor. Also think about what the child might be motivated in. I, mean, I, I know oftentimes people here, a student might be bored in class. We have a new and exciting course. We've run a pilot already and we've heard how exciting it is. And it's AP Computer Science Principles. Happy to talk to you about that, but it allows, it's a course that infuses both creativity and innovation within one course. And it goes well beyond traditional coding. Uh, and we're specifically looking to get that course to students of color who wouldn't normally get that into girls in STEM because we know they can do it. Yeah, my uh, my niece takes a coding class and uh, she's with boys. And then she said she took a coding class for girls and she said they dumbed it down and she was so offended. So, yeah, mm-hmm. you want to get those girls in there and people, you know, yeah. m- minorities who may not, you know, readily be in those classes. All right. Yeah. So love that. All right. You've told me in the past that um, they're taking these AP courses don't just help you get into college, but also help prepare you for a career. Obviously, the coding would, how else does it help you career-wise later? The critical thinking skills that you're going to employ in AP courses are going to extend into college. Additionally, if you think about having to skip the introductory or a lot, a lot, being allowed to skip the introductory courses, now I'm taking, taking deeper courses. If I'm a biology major, now I'm taking upper-level biology as a freshman or a sophomore. That's preparing me, one, for graduate school, but also for the career market because I've gone deeper than students who didn't have these experiences. Well, love it, Wendell. Yeah, I love your passion for education, and I've told you before, you know, I came from a very poor background, lost a brother to murder, one to homelessness and meth addiction, and I didn't have my dad around, lived in low-income housing. And without me working seven days a week all through high school and all through college and getting a career, I never would have gotten out of that Jerry Springer episode, you know, uh, family life. So I'm so grateful for an education, and anyone that gets an education will have a better shot at success in life. So I love what you do to, you know, promote kids and, you know, some of these kids that don't have the same opportunities. So thank you so much. Where do we go for more info, Wendell? Angie, thank you. ExploreAP.org. ExploreAP.org. Learn about these innovative classes. Talk to your counselor. January to March is when your counselor is signing you up for courses for the fall. The time is now. Excellent. Thanks, Wendell, for joining us on the good news. That's good news. Thank you, Angie. Thanks for listening to The Good News with Angie Austin. Find the podcast of past shows at AngieAustinRadio.com. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.